Hey, church family, so good to be with you again on this Sunday. Hope you're all doing well and staying safe and glad that you have chosen to join us together to worship online this morning. I do want to let you know that we are actually preparing to, uh, or worshiping, in the midst of worshiping on, on Sunday morning as well uh, at the church building, outside in the church building, and uh, we'd love to have you join us at some time. We also understand if you're not comfortable coming back, but we'd love to have you be a part of, of our worship together and look forward to the times when we can all meet together again. But we are so glad that you have joined us in whatever capacity. We're just so glad to be able to worship together with you today. You ever had one of those didn't see that coming moments in your life? Maybe it was something that happened that was the opposite of what you thought would happen, or maybe it was something that, that just kind of came out of nowhere. Maybe something was done or something was said. I had one of those moments the other day with uh, my son. We were out uh, riding bikes. We were riding a, along the trails back by Bailey Park. For those of you who live in Battle Creek, you know what I'm talking about. And so we were out riding uh, trails back there, and, and we were having a great time riding. But we came to the point where trails follow along the river. And so we came to a point where it was a little back from the river, and there was kind of some pools of water, but the, the bugs were just out. They were out in full force in that little section. And so uh, my son was, was not really thrilled about getting eaten up by bugs, but I told him what any loving father would do. Uh, I, I told him to go faster so the bugs don't, don't get to you, so they don't catch you. And so he tried that for a little bit, but it just wasn't working. He, he kind of was getting attacked by them and he was starting to get a little bit upset. And so finally he just stopped and, and all dead seriously, you know, he said to me, he just said, Dad, I think the bugs like chocolate. <laughs> if you don't know, my son is brown skinned, so that's kind of what makes it funny. But I just could not help but laugh. I just did not see that coming. Well, we are in the midst of a series called Going Viral, in which we're journeying through the book of Acts and examining what it looks like when the message of Jesus goes viral. And today, as we think about didn't see that coming experiences, our journey brings us to a person who I think may be the best example of that, because it brings us to the story of a man by the name of Saul in Acts chapter 9. Perhaps no one did more to take the message of Jesus viral in his lifetime in the first century than Saul, who would later be known as Paul. But before he ever considered it as a message to be spread, in the beginning, he actually considered it a virus, the gospel to be a virus to be destroyed. The first time we see Saul in the book of Acts and in the Bible, for that matter, is in Acts chapter 8, when he's present while Stephen, if, we, if you remember, I brought up Stephen a couple of weeks ago, while Stephen, a follower of Jesus, is being stoned to death for his conviction and his preaching that Jesus was the Son of God right in the middle of Jerusalem. Luke tells us that Saul stood there and watched Stephen die, even giving his approval to the events. Luke then writes, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, and going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Acts chapter 8 then leaves Saul and, and goes on to tell the story of the gospel going viral into uh, Judea and, and Samaria and even into Africa, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But then in Acts chapter 9, it picks back up 
again with the story of Saul, who's now about to take his campaign on the road. He's touring now. And Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says this, Meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in, in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is the followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Damascus is about 150 miles away from Jerusalem, and it was a significant city at this time with, many, uh, with a large number of Jewish uh, people in that, in that city, large Jewish population in the city. And the message of Jesus had already made its way to Damascus, and there were a large number of, or a growing number of followers of Jesus Christ there at that time. And Saul knew that he had to act quickly if he was going to try and destroy this virus called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he goes to the religious leaders in Jerusalem and he says, hey, I, I need letters that give me the authority to go into the synagogues, into the, uh, into the places of worship there in Damascus and arrest any followers of Jesus that I find there and bring them back to Jerusalem. And he could do this because the Roman Empire allowed the Jews to police themselves, particularly if there was a segment of Jews who believed that there was someone other than Caesar who was Lord. And of course, the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, they give Saul what he wants because they want the same thing. They want this Jesus problem taken care of and they want his followers squashed. And so Saul gets on the road with all the necessary documents and he sets out with his entourage headed for Damascus to round up some Jesus followers. By the way, I think it's also worth noting and mentioning here that when Saul is doing this, he actually thinks that he's serving God. He would say later on in Acts, in Acts chapter 22, that I was zealous for God when I was persecuting and rounding up followers of Jesus Christ. And Saul is a great example of how you can be absolutely sincere about something and believe it with all your heart and be sincerely wrong. He thought he was doing the right thing because he genuinely believed that Jesus was a false Messiah, that he was dead, that he was just no, no one to be worried about. Saul was blinded in one sense to the reality, and he's about to be blind in another. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Note that Jesus considers Saul persecuting him through the persecution of Saul to his followers. Jesus takes the persecution of his people personally and seriously. Why? Because they are his body. We are his body. Verse five, Saul asked, who are you, Lord? That just about says it all. Saul doesn't know who Jesus is. He thought Jesus was dead and gone and had nothing to do with the God that he had worshiped and studied his entire life. And now everything is about to be turned upside down. And get this, in one sense, Saul is completely clueless. And yet in another sense, he's confessing Jesus as Lord before he even realizes it. Who are you, Lord? Jesus replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. Duh. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So, I mean, get this. Saul sets off for Damascus completely in charge. He's got letters. He's got the entourage. He's going into the city to tell people what to do. And now the Lord says, you need to go into the city and you will be told what to do. Instead of Saul marching into the city so confident with letters in hand, Saul is led into the city by the hand, completely blind. And so for three days, Saul is blind, and Luke adds that he didn't eat or drink anything during that time. After all, can you really blame him? I mean, if I'd had that kind of, uh, that kind of vision, that kind of experience, and, and lost my eyesight, I probably wouldn't really want to eat anything or drink anything, uh, much of anything either. But Saul, he's not the only one having trouble seeing. Somebody else has a vision problem. Continue in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. By the way, this is a different Ananias than the Ananias and Sapphira we read about a few weeks ago. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now notice a couple of things here. First of all, Jesus... Excuse me, Jesus tells Ananias that Saul is praying, which I'm thinking I would be too if I had lost my sight. And oh, by the way, little minor detail, I'd been completely wrong about this Jesus guy that I had been persecuting up until now. But then secondly, not only does Ananias have a vision, but the Lord tells Ananias that Paul has also had a vision, which is kind of ironic to me. I mean, Paul doesn't have, or excuse me, Saul at this point, Saul doesn't have vision, but he has a vision, which tells me that spiritually speaking, your spiritual vision has very little to do with the optic nerves that help with your physical vision. Saul doesn't have vision, but he has a vision. And for three days, Saul is blind. Get this, for three days, Saul is blind to everything but Jesus. And, you know, I think we could probably do some good. I'd probably do some good for us to have that kind of vision problem as well. Of course, Ananias has his vision too. Now, for Saul, his vision is that a man named Ananias is going to come and he's going to lay hands on him. He's going to have his sight restored. That had to be an encouraging vision for Saul. As for Ananias and his vision, not so much. Ananias says in verse 13, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Apparently word travels fast. fast. Ananias has heard about this guy and what he's doing. I don't know if he's watching the news or following it on social media, but he knows about Saul and he knows about his intentions. And he's not so sure. Ananias is not so sure about the Lord's plan. So he says, you know what, Jesus, I think you need some more information. Verse 15, though. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. He has to repeat himself. Go. This man is my chosen instrument 
to carry my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Lord tells Ananias, you got to trust me. I've got big plans for this guy. He is my chosen instrument, my chosen vessel to carry my name. He's going to take it viral. Instead of stopping my name, he's going to spread my name. He's going to be a carrier of it. And what's curious to me, it's easy to kind of skip over this, but what's curious to me seemingly is that Ananias knows this before Saul does. Ananias is in on the plan before Saul is. Now, he doesn't like it, but he is warming up to obeying Jesus. And we don't know exactly when Saul was told by Jesus what he was going to do with him. But we do know that Ananias knows, and we know that Ananias goes. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, and get this, listen, listen to what he says. Brother Saul, calls him brother. The Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, just in case you had the wrong Jesus, or we're talking about the wrong Jesus here. He sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. It's such a, an incredible turn of events because Saul left for Damascus to get his hands on people like Ananias. And yet it's Ananias who winds up laying hands on Saul and healing him. And notice again how Ananias addresses him, brother Saul. He treats him like a brother before Saul ever acts like one. And he loves him. You know why? Because Jesus loves him. And check this out. I don't want us to, to miss the significance of this. Ananias says, he sent me so that you may see and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only is there salvation here, but you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's huge. That in particular would speak to, Paul, to, to Saul. Excuse me. I'm probably going to call him Paul a couple more times, but to Saul at this point, because Saul spent his whole life reading the, New, the Old Testament. He, he was trained by the best of rabbis. He knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And so much of the Old Testament about the Messiah was that he was coming and when he would come, he would pour out his spirit upon his people. And now Saul is about to receive the thing he spent his entire life reading about the Messiah doing. So Saul's whole life, he'd been reading about this and now he's about to be in on this. And of all things, the promised spirit was going to come through the one who Saul was trying to destroy. Saul is then baptized by Ananias. He eats some food. He regains his strength. And that was good because of what he is about to head for next. Verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. I'm sure that wasn't awkward at all. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And is, hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, Saul was a high-profile 
persecutor and opponent of Jesus and his followers. And yet when he pops up in Damascus, he's not persecuting Jesus' followers. He's preaching Jesus as the Messiah, as the very Son of God, and defending Jesus' followers. He's not arresting anybody because he's been arrested by Jesus. He's in the grips of Jesus Christ, and he's out to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And people are completely baffled by this. They're like, who are you? And what have you done with Saul? Have you ever had experience where, kind of similar vein of those didn't see that coming experiences, but an experience where maybe it was a spouse or a child or a parent or friend or whoever it was, maybe they did something that was just so out of character that you're, you looked at them and they're like, who are you and what have you done with my fill in the blank? Kind of like that in this instance. They are completely baffled at this, but some move from being baffled to conspiring against him. Verse 23, after many days had gone by, so this is going on for some time, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Just to, again, they are conspiring to kill him. Sometimes we read things like this and we just kind of read over that. No, they have a premeditated plan to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Again, just wrap your mind around this picture. Saul sets out for Damascus in charge and ready to support the Jews there to be their ringleader to, to round up all these pesky Christ followers. But now he's public enemy number one. And he has to leave the city at night in a basket, the persecutor has become the persecuted. And, and just, I mean, get this picture in your head. This image is almost unbelievable what's going on here. He's a grown man who has to crawl into a basket and can be completely dependent upon others to rescue him as they lower him on the other side of the wall. And then get a load of this. Saul moves from the frying pan into the fire because he heads back to Jerusalem. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. I mean, can you blame him or blame them? They, they probably thought he was a mole. He left with papers. He'd been going from house to house, dragging Christians off. And the next time they see him, he's wanting to go to church. And add to that, to top it off, he has a target on his back because the, because the Jews are trying to kill him. And from Paul's, excuse me, Saul, there I go again. Saul's perspective, the one place he ought to be able to go to for understanding and acceptance, they don't believe he's legit and they won't accept him. It's a lonely place to be. But there is one person who believes, believes in him. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas, Barnabas testifies to them not only about the experience that Saul had on that road to Damascus, but he also points to the, the fruit in Saul's life. He, he says that this wasn't just some experience that this guy had, but now the, the first thing he did is he started pro, to proclaim the message of Jesus fearlessly. Powerful stuff. Apparently, 
Barnabas' testimony about Saul convinced the apostles because verse 28 says, So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Here we go again. They tried to kill him too. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And as I read this story, I I can't help but think that one of the reasons the church was living in fear of the Lord is because of what happened to Saul. It was so disorienting. It, It just again reconfirmed there is a power of God at work in our midst that the chief persecutor, would suddenly become the chief proclaimer. His about face was so dramatic that he couldn't help but make other doubters of Jesus wonder. And other doubters of Jesus even began to doubt their doubts. Let me ask you a question. If you have doubts about Jesus, have you ever doubted your doubts? And sometimes we have doubts about Jesus, but have, have we ever doubted our doubts about Jesus. What happened to Saul caused people to doubt their doubts about Jesus Christ. And the church grew. So what does Saul's journey tell us about the message of Jesus going viral? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you four things today that I think it tells us. First, when it comes to going viral, Saul's story reminds us that some of the most effective Christ carriers, if we're talking about viruses, some of the most effective Christ carriers come from some of the most unexpected places. Saul came to Damascus to clean up the mess of Jesus. He left there spreading the message about Jesus. Nobody saw that coming. Absolutely nobody saw that coming. Reminds me of a name that many of you are probably familiar with, and even if you're not, that's okay. But uh, great theologian and author, C.S. Lewis, wrote incredible books and all kinds of different things. Who knew that this once great atheist would become perhaps the most influential Christian writer of the 20th century? From atheist to incredibly prominent Christian writer, an author. You never know who God might use. You never know the addict down the street could go on to be a person through whom God works to bring about incredible healing and delivery. The man or or woman sitting in the cubicle next to you who seems to be so self-absorbed might go on to, to raise kids who go on to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ preaching and teaching and becoming some of the world's great proclaimers of what Jesus has done. You just never know. I mean, after all, who would have thought that the greatest, probably of his lifetime, the greatest proclaimer, maybe of all of our lifetimes, the greatest proclaimer and spreader of the message of Jesus Christ who would go on to write most of our New Testament would be a man who went and tried to squelch the message of Jesus Christ in the beginning. That he tried to extinguish the message of Jesus Christ, and yet God would use him to be an igniter and to spread the message of Jesus Christ 
in ways that no one could have ever imagined. Some of the most effective Christ carriers come from some of the most unexpected places. Second takeaway. While Jesus may be the way, people get to Jesus in different ways. Maybe another way of saying it, Jesus can get our attention in more than one way. And for some, it's easy to read this story and to think, well, I've never really had a Damascus road type of experience to which I would say, thank God you haven't. You know, sometimes we read stories like this and we hear these great transformation stories or in particular this story about Saul and we, we think it'd be awesome to have an experience like this. But keep in mind, this encounter wasn't pleasant for Saul. He lost his sight for three days. He was so rocked by this that he didn't eat or drink anything for three days. This was no picnic for Saul. And think about this. Usually in Scripture, the clearer the call, the more difficult the task ahead. From Moses to Elijah to John the Baptist to Mary to countless others, Joshua, Samuel, I think of countless names in Scripture— you read these incredible stories throughout the Bible about God very clearly calling people. But usually the, call, the clearer the call he makes, the more difficult the task ahead. Why? Because the, the more difficult the task, he knows you're going to need to come to keep coming back to the clarity of the call. That's why Saul, who would later be known as Paul, over and over and over in the New Testament keeps coming back and talking about his call from God. He'll keep coming back to his call from God when he's in prison and when he's talking to others about the suffering that he's enduring. Why? Because the clearer the call, the greater the task. But beyond all this, also keep this in mind. This conversion story here in Acts chapter 9 is surrounded by two other conversion stories. The story you have before this is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. How does he get to Jesus? He's reading Scripture. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. He gets to Jesus through Scripture. And yes, God uses Philip to come along and teach him and, and help him to understand what he's reading, but he's reading Scripture. That's how he's learning about Jesus. That's how Jesus gets his attention. How about the story after this story with Saul? It's the story of, of Cornelius. How does he get to Jesus? He gets to Jesus through prayer. Ultimately, Jesus does give him a vision, but it starts through Cornelius praying to God. And so you have three conversion stories back to back to back in just a couple of chapters here in Acts. One gets to Jesus, or Jesus gets their attention through scripture. Another, Jesus gets their, his attention through prayer and ultimately a vision as well. And then the other one, Jesus gets his attention through being blinded by the light. My point is don't box God in and don't preoccupy yourself if your conversion experience doesn't look like somebody else's, and don't expect somebody else's conversion experience to look exactly like yours. Just let God be God and let him love you in the way you need to be loved on your way to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus may be the way, but people get to Jesus in different ways, and he'll transform Jesus or transform people in different ways. And ultimately, how you come to Jesus doesn't matter nearly as much as that you come to Jesus in the end. Third takeaway, nobody gets to Jesus without a little help. The Ethiopian eunuch had Philip, Saul had Ananias, Cornelius had Peter, and by the way, in each case, Philip, Peter, Ananias had to take some initiative in responding 
to God's prompting. They had to overcome some barriers in their own life, in their own hearts, to reach out. And I want you to just picture somebody. Think about somebody right now that you know in your life that you really look up to spiritually. Maybe it's a couple people, but just you know, try to think of somebody in your life that you look up to spiritually. Maybe you even picture them as just this, you know, not that they're perfect, I'm not saying that, but they're just a pillar of what a Christian is supposed to look like. Maybe even a, a spiritual giant in your mind. Somewhere in their own story was someone who helped them get to Jesus Christ. No matter where you are in your Christian walk, somebody helped you get started in your walk with Jesus Christ because nobody gets to Christ without a little help from their friends. And then along those lines, fourth and finally, not only does nobody get to Jesus, it's probably a double negative, but don't worry about it. Not only does nobody get to Jesus without a little help, but also nobody grows in Jesus without a little help. Every Christian needs other brothers and sisters in Christ along the way. Did you notice how often Saul needed other believers in his first years as a believer? When they tried to kill him in Damascus, he literally needed other believers to put him in a basket and lower him on the other side of the wall to get him out of Damascus. When he's in Jerusalem, he needed other believers there too to protect him as well. Every Christian, not some, not most, every Christian needs other brothers and sisters in Christ at some point. Barnabas, who was one of the, the one guy that believed in, in Saul, even when others around didn't think he was legit. You know what Barnabas' name means? His name means son of encouragement. And when Saul's life was on the line and the church wasn't really ready to accept him, Saul needed one man to come along and believe in him and put heart into him. Listen to me very closely. You can't do it alone. You weren't meant to do it alone because nobody grows in Jesus without a little help. Charles Plum was a jet fighter pilot in Vietnam. After some 75 missions, his plane was shot down by a surface-to-air missile Luckily, he survived, and a few years later, no, actually several years later, one day his wife, him and his wife were out at a restaurant having dinner when a man came up to him, and, and he just bluntly said, he said, you're Charles Plum. You flew fighter jets, jet fighters off the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk in Vietnam, and, and, and Plum said, how in the world did you know that? And the guy said, you were shot down, weren't you? And, and Plum said, yeah, I was shot down. And the guy said, well, yeah, but, but you're alive. And, and Plum said, yeah, I'm, I'm quite aware that, that I'm alive. And the guy said, well, I, I was an enlisted man. And I was in the parachute loft. And I packed your parachute every mission. And your parachute worked because you're here. And it finally hit Plum. How many times had he walked right past enlisted men on that aircraft carrier and never thought to stop and say thank you. Because one of those men wound up packing his parachute and saving his life. So who packs your parachute? Who packs your parachute? 
And whose parachute will you pack this week? For those who have helped pack your parachute, I I would encourage you to reach out and say thank you to them. Maybe it's a card, a text, a call. Just thank them. Thank them for helping you get to Christ or helping you in your journey with Christ. But maybe, just maybe, there's also somebody that you know in your realm of relationships who desperately needs a parachute packed for them right now. Be that person. Because nobody gets to Jesus without a little help. And nobody grows in Jesus without a little help either.